Shavua Tov, and welcome back to Interesting Questions. We are on the third parak of Pirkei Avot, the seventh Mishnah. Rabbi Chalafta ben Dosa Ishkvar Chananya Omer. Rabbi Chalafta, the son of Dosa, from Kfar Chananya, would say, Asarasha Yoshvin Oskin B'Torah. Ten people who sit together and engage in Torah. Shechina Shruya Beinehem. The Divine Presence sits among them. Shneemar, that it says, Elohim Nitzav Ba'adat Kel. God stands in the Divine Assembly. The Divine Assembly referring to ten. Uminayin Afilu Chamishan. How do we know even if it's five people? Shneemar, that it says, Va'agudato Al Eretz Yisada. For his bundle is upon the earth, it has been established. The bundle refers to five. Uminayin Afilu Shlosha. And how do we know if it's even three people? Shneemar, that it says, Bekerav Elohim Yishpot. In the midst of judging, God will sit. And we know there are three judges. Minayin afilu shnaim. And from where do we know that there are even two? Shneemar, that it says, Aznid buru yirei Hashem, ish arayehu v'yakshev Hashem v'yishma. Then they spoke of fear of Hashem, one to the other, or a person to his friend. Um, and God listened and heard him, meaning there were two there. And from where do we know even one? Shneemar, that it says, In every place where my name is remembered, I will come and I will bless you. And that is one. So, looking at the question on this particular Mishnah, Akiva, why do we think it's so important to say that God is where there is ten, where there are five, where there are three, where there are two, where there's one. Why not just say, God is there where there is one. God is there where there are ten. Why do we need all of those options? It probably goes to the difference of the activities, right? So there are things when we gather together in large groups, in this case ten, and... If it was a group of ten, you would expect that certain people would say, well, we know how to behave, right? We know what our decorum should be. Okay, well, what about a smaller group? What that might be? What might that be? Well, a group of five, maybe it's, uh, I don't know, two and a half couples, which obviously would be five, but, uh, or, or a family. It, it kind of gives you the idea of, a different setting than what would have 10. And to me, it suggests that, yeah, God's still there. Same thing with three, same thing with two. And each one of those is obviously different. Five and three, okay, maybe that's a bigger family and a smaller family, or two families versus one family, or what. But either way, it certainly denotes a different setting. And then the two... That's a couple. That could be either two friends. Uh, that could be a suggestion. And I know in this case, sir, the discussion is about you know learning. But at the same time, I think it's also about acknowledging that God is there. And so how a pair of friends treat each other or spend their time, how a couple spends their time together, I think that all of that is, again, a different setting and a different way of behaving, potentially, than any of the other situations. And of course, there's the one, and I think that 
we know that it's within our nature to, at times, think that when we're alone, we're alone. And think that it gives us certain freedoms, be it freedoms of maybe being less disciplined, maybe being a little bit more sneaky. There's, there's, a, there's a level of sneakiness that comes with solitude. And I think the point here is, is that you're not alone. And I like the way that it's written, though, because it doesn't say, if you forget to remember that God is there, bad things will happen. But rather it says, hey, if you do good things, there are blessings. And I think that that's an important piece, because that really suggests that it's one of those rare opportunities in our older uh, doctrines where we see the positive being encouraged with positive. I think a lot of times, as we've seen, there's a lot of bad things will happen if you're not well behaved. But it's kind of nice every once in a while to see that there's positive reinforcement too. And uh, I, I mean, I, th I threw a lot of different pieces in there, but... I like I like what you said. In particular, I think that it, it made me think about how we have different, I don't want to call them different personalities, but we have different components to our personality, whether we're in public, in private, in semi-private. And so, you know, from a Jewish perspective, we see 10 as being public. And so, you know, if it's talking about 10 or more, it's how do I act when I'm in public? Five, well, you're in a small group, right? It's much more intimate, but it's still a significant number of people around. When you get down to three, so maybe you're with your two best friends, and, you know, you feel like you can let your hair down even more. And if two, it could be, like you said, it could be with the person you trust most, whether that be your spouse, whether that be a friend or a chavrusa, and then by yourself, even by yourself, how do you make sure that you are being uh, being godly, being holy, even when you are by yourself. You know, Avi, it kind of reminds me of, in part, how we're supposed to appreciate even the things that are seemingly mundane. Um, you know, I know that, for example, the Asher Yatsar prayer, right? We think of that as... In, in our everyday activities is just that. It's an everyday activity. And yet, the fact that there is a prayer... Right. For, for those who may not know, Asher Yatsar has said, after going to the restroom. And, um, you know, I, I think that it's... There's something powerful in acknowledging that in every activity, in everything that we do, there is something godly and there is a the presence of Hashem at all times, and, um, but you know, Avi, while, while we're on that subject, which I realize I brought up, um, maybe you can kind of clarify a little bit in part, because on the one hand, we want to behave as if God is with us, and we want to acknowledge that even the things that are mundane uh, are in fact still godly, and, and therefore we should be grateful and and remember that God spared no, spared no expense or thought at every single thing that we do as human beings, and yet we're not supposed to think about anything 
related to Torah or, or, or God when we're actually in the restroom. And I, I guess what I'm kind of wondering about is if it was from a respect standpoint, I think that's very simple and straightforward. I got that. But the sheer fact that Hashem made us and is always with us, we don't really have anything we can hide from Him. We, we've said that multiple times, and we, we all say it often. Uh, and yet, we, we aren't supposed to... Uh... So I think there is the difference between recognition and appreciation. In other words, um, I have to imagine, certainly it's true in my case, that spouses know that the other person goes to the restroom, right? That the person's using the restroom. In some families, there may be a comfort level in going into the restroom while somebody else is using it, depending on the layout, whether the, the toilet room is a separate room and, and the sink is connected or whether they're in there at the same time, whatever the case may be, right? And so there's, there is a, 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 a comfort level with each other. And yet, that may not be the best time to have a deep and thoughtful discussion or to profess one's love, right? It is not, it is not a, a romantic time or place to be engaged in that, right? And, and may not be appreciated by the other. And so rather, we say, yes, it, I know it's something you do. God knows it's something that we do. And we do it before God and with God present, but at the same time, that's not the place to start having deep thoughts about the nature of God, what is our connection to God, that is not the time or place for that. Um, and so, uh, despite the expression praying to the porcelain God, I think that the idea of, of we are going to recognize that God is present, but at the same time, it is not the time or the place to engage in connection with God. Well, but Avi, I'm going I'm to push back a little bit because I don't think this is a new idea that I've thought of considering, um, we know that in the Shulchan Aruch it says that if you find yourself thinking about uh, Torah study or anything davening related, you should purposefully shift your attention to business. Uh, and if it's Shabbos, you should think about something mundane, not even business. And, and so obviously I'm not the first one who's thought about this. And of course we also, you know, talk about, I believe it's in preparation, uh, in the, in the Mishkan. If, uh, if we need a smelly, odiferous, uh, honey or wine, uh, I believe it says specifically something along the lines of you can't substitute urine. So... I'm not the first one to come up with this question and line of questioning, and I guess the thing that I can't help but think about is, who said, these are places that many people spend an awful lot of time, and it is a place of solitude and thinking clearly and contemplation, and, and while, yes, many people go in and go out, there are often a lot of times where people are finding themselves in there and thinking and pondering and 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 I guess the question is 
why would God care? Why, why would God have a problem with us thinking? Isn't any time, we just, we just said, any time that's not spent uh, in Torah study is possibly wasted time. Obviously, I assume they didn't mean about caring for your family or, you know, following through with your responsibilities. But a lot of people have spare time when they're sitting and not thinking about natural occurrences. So I think that we, within Judaism, we have a tendency to try to separate the natural and the supernatural. And that which, we, we balance them. We don't try to completely push away the natural. We say, right, that there is a place for them to intertwine. And a great example of that is saying a bracha before we eat. We recognize that we need to eat. We don't say that we shouldn't eat. But recognizing that the food comes from God is a way to imbue that act of eating with holiness. There is a time and a place to recognize God in conjunction with the fact that we're able to uh, use the facilities, right? And you talked about Asher Yatsar, which literally says, right, Nikavim, Nikavim, Chalim, Chalim, that we have all these different holes in our body, that if we were to open one of them or close one of them that shouldn't be open or that shouldn't be closed, I would not be able to stand before you. Right? The fact that, that our bodies work in truly natural and yet miraculous ways is something to give thanks to God for. Um, and I'm, I'm struck by the fact that there are certain times that we say a bracha before an activity, and there are certain times we say a bracha after an activity. So, for example, we talked about brachot before we eat, but there's also a bracha after we eat, right? We don't say birkat hamazon before, we, before we've eaten. We say it after we've eaten. So the bracha, in terms of going to the restroom, is after everything is complete. And so, does God care? I'm not sure that it's about God caring. I think it's about us having a structure for life where we're able to separate that which is important, natural, and be appreciative of, and that which we should be appreciative of God for, but at the same time, not doing it in the midst of because that isn't necessarily an, an act that is holy. And in fact, if we go back to Torah, there, are, there, were, um, there were idolatries that used that act as part of their idolatry. Well, hence, praying to the porcelain god. Correct. So, so Avi, I guess uh, if I if I'm hearing you correctly, and I and I see what you're saying, and I guess if uh, if we were to sum it up, I suppose that you know, and and, and I guess I, I see this boundary sometimes blurred ever more. I mean, you walk into a into a public facility and you see people on their cell phones, and not on their cell phones playing games or, but people talking to other people and. Uh, I guess if, uh, if I'm a little bit taken aback by that, I suppose the analogy would be if you're not even willing to talk to another person, perhaps... Perhaps it's not the right time to talk to God. Okay. 
I think there's also one other piece, which is the fact that um, for the vast majority of those acts, um, you need to be uncovered, at least in part. Well, that brings me to my next set of questions. Why which, would God care? In fact, we know that God was a little bit put off by the fact that we realized we were naked to begin with. No, no. I, I don't think God was put off by it. I think we were put off when we realized it, and therefore God provided us with clothing. Well, but I mean when... when right, You're talking when, Adam and Eve. Right. right. When right. Adam and Eve realized... In other words, they went a good long time with no clothes on, and God was not bothered. It was only when they became when they realized that and became embarrassed of that fact and covered themselves, did God then provide them with clothing. So I think it's the same, it may be the same thing. We, we have our, our ups and downs as a society in regard to um, nudity and in terms of, um, of how comfortable... Modesty. I wasn't going to use the term modesty, but society is with, um, with levels of, of showing skin, right? In other words, um, to walk around in South Florida in the summer in shorts and a t-shirt is considered quite normal in, in our society. It's very warm, right? Um, and yet, to, to... Where less than that, or significantly less than that, unless you're at certain specific places like the beach or the pool, might be considered, right, a little bit scandalous, to where a lot less than that would be considered scandalous to the point where it is illegal. And so the society has determined those rules. They may be influenced by a perspective that came from religion, although I believe that has a lot more to do with the Christian perspective on sin and nudity and sex than it does from a Jewish perspective. So with all that being said, I think we're ready to move on to the next set of Mishnayot, because I think that they may give us some insight into what the, the authors of the Mishnah were saying. So we're continuing with Mishnah Chet, Perikimel. Rabbi Elazar Ish Betor Bartota Omer. Rabbi Elazar, who was from Bartota, would say, Tenlo Mishelo, Sha'ata Veshelcha Shelo. Give him, probably meaning give God, from his own, sha'ata v'shalcha shalo, because you and all that is yours are his. V'chein b'david huomer, and so similarly concerning David, he would say, ki mimcha hako umiadcha netanu lach. From you is everything, and from your hand have we been given. So Akiva, one of the questions I want to ask here is that it doesn't just say that everything we have belongs to Hashem, but it's that we ourselves belong to Hashem. And so, from a 
psychological perspective, I want to ask you, what does that mean? How are we supposed to... Uh, how are we supposed to act in terms of either the idea of our identity or from a ongoing wellness to say that we are we are the property we are we are we belong to Hashem I think there's actually a lot of comfort in that I think that you know when we when we talk about the idea of taking care of somebody else's things, right? You borrow something, you treat it like you're going to give it back. You know, you get a library book. You treat the library book well. If you're somebody who likes to fold the pages of your books or, or, or doodle on the side or take notes in the, in the, in the binding, okay, that's your book. You can, you can do it to your book, to a library book, to a book you're borrowing, to a book you loan to your students. You, I'm sure you have the conversation. We don't expect that this is going to happen. These are, these are supposed to last and go to someone else, and we expect you to treat it with respect. So I think if we look at this as the idea of we are, we are on loan, uh, and, and we belong to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and therefore what we do with our certainly with our physical selves, but also with our spiritual selves, with our, our neshama, uh, the idea that we need to take care of ourselves because we're on loan. We belong to someone else. You know, I, I think that when... As parents, if you have more than one child and they fight with each other, and oftentimes the conversation that gets had is, amongst many of them, you're both my children, don't fight with each other, uh, hurting one hurts everybody, uh, or, or even insofar as to say, you know, if, if God forbid you have, you have a, a child or a loved one who, who has self-injurious behaviors, who hurts themselves, right? Many times one of the things that a, that a parent will certainly reach out towards as a method of, of trying to protect that child, and this is not to say that this should be instead of getting them assistance if they need assistance, uh, but is to say that not only does it hurt the person who's doing it, but it hurts those who, who love them and care about them. And so we really do fall in this idea in a number of ways on taking care of something that belongs to something else, or that the way it's treated impacts others. And, and I think if we all had the idea that we are on loan, and, and God, we are all God's possessions, then we have to be careful with the, ourselves, we have to be careful with each other. We have to be thoughtful in the way that we treat each other, certainly thoughtful in the way we treat ourselves, and, uh, you know, throughout uh, numerous times when we've, uh, throughout these podcasts, we've mentioned things like, we've talked about how your words matter and how uh, choice of words and the way you treat each other and the way we treat ourselves and all of these things really are summed up in this idea that if, if we are to show respect to Hashem, part of that means that we show respect to ourselves because... And, and respect to each other, because we are all 
property of the of the king. So I think that takes us to this week's question for around the Shabbos table, which is, in what area of life would you like to improve yourself so that when you are returned to your maker, your owner, after 120 years, God will look and say, I see you treated it well. I see you maybe even made some improvements. Hi, I'm Dr. Akiva Down. And I'm Rabbi Avi Green. And welcome to Interesting Questions. In this podcast, we'll be addressing issues that are philosophical, religious, and psychological in nature, and exploring some of the deeper questions as we go into Season 2. We will be focusing on that which is considered to be controversial, and there may not be a right or wrong answer. So we are hoping that our discussions will yield more questions for your Shabbos table. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to reach us, you can reach us at iqdiscuss at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you and responding.